You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh God, Lord of hosts, we pray that you would impress upon us what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus. And Lord, that indeed he is a warrior and stands between us and the world and sin and the devil. And so, Lord, that we would look to him and be saved, not just now, but forevermore. Amen. Uh, We're taking uh, a break. We finally have made it all the way through the life of David, and then next uh, Sunday we will pick up Uh, I believe, with Mark's gospel, and we'll continue on that uh, until uh, we get to its end according to the lectionary. And so in this in-between time, the lectionary has given us this magisterial passage from Ephesians chapter 6, which many of you are probably well aware of, uh, the armor of God. You may think back to vacation Bible school where you had the Roman soldier there with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword of Uh, the Spirit, which is uh, the Word of God. And it turns out that uh, most of us have learned this passage incorrectly, including me. Preachers especially cannot help but turn this passage into an allegory for the Christian life. Indeed, two things normally happen in trying to understand this passage that we ought to be warned about. One is that we can't understand this passage apart from the whole of the letter to the Ephesians. Paul is saying, finally, this is his conclusion. This is how he's summing everything up. And so to understand, especially to understand what he's meaning by talking about the armor, you have to go back and look and see what he's done and written previously in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. But also, too, we need to be careful that we don't lay more emphasis upon the armor than the battle. Because Paul is talking about the spiritual war that rages around us. But we're easily distracted by the armor. And so it's the second warning that I would like to take up this morning, concentrating on the battle where Paul lays the emphasis rather than upon the armor and keeping it in the context of the whole of the book of Ephesians. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is saying that the battle is real. That the battle that rages against us spiritually is just as real as any other great battle that's ever taken place on earth. And it's been sustained since Satan and all of his angel compatriots were cast out of heaven. Sometimes this battle moves from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. But it's in the spiritual realm in which this takes place. In fact, this phrase, heavenly places, heavenly realms, is not very common to the New Testament, but it finds itself being said over and over again here in the book of Ephesus. 
And so, the book of Ephesians. And so the battle is real, but Paul says, let's remember who the battle is against. The battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It is against our adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, as Peter would write in his first epistle. It's actually against Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness that have rebelled against God. It's not against people, although the devil will use people. He will lead them astray, and he will manipulate them. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that unbelievers have a veiled mind. They're actually not able to see with spiritual eyes. And the Bible often refers to the devil as the father of lies. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to convince the world of lies, whether they're lies about God or even lies about himself. It's been rightly said that the greatest lie that the devil has been able to pull off is to get the world convinced that he doesn't exist. And yet, the Bible, time and time again, not only acknowledges his existence as a personal entity, not just a force, not just badness out there, but an actual personality, but what he's capable of and what he is about. And so that's where the battle rages And Paul says, don't worry about the human opposition that you encounter as a believer, but the spiritual opposition that is using human opposition to thwart the gospel. And the way that this spiritual battle manifests itself is normally one of three ways. We've already been talking about one way, and that's the devil. But when you're going through a great difficulty in life, If you're embattled with spiritual warfare, how do you know it's the devil that's coming after you? Because there are other options. The first thing is if you're struggling with something, it may in fact be sin. If you find your life falling apart, uh, if you find uh, that uh, you feel uh, oppressed, It actually might be the sin that is within you. This is why Paul uses battle language to talk about the internal struggle of the believer with sin. The very thing that I want to do in Romans 7 is the thing that I find myself doing. And the thing I want to do is what I find myself incapable of doing. Who will rescue me from this body of death? It is as if there are two armies within my heart struggling all the time. And so the struggle might in fact be sin and not the devil. I had a friend one time who was convinced that uh, the enemy was attacking her. And I said, well, what has led you to believe that? And they said, because I bought a book on spiritual warfare and I put it on my bedside table and my dog ate it. Maybe, maybe, but I think it's the dog. (laughs) But it may be sin in your life that you're struggling with. But it may also be God. It may be God trying to get your attention. 
When John Newton was the rector of Olney Parish outside of London, he and one of his best friends, William Cooper, began to compile a hymnal, which would ultimately be called the Olney Hymnal. And because of that hymnal, we have hymns like Amazing Grace, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, amongst many others. Uh, Our God works in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. But just as they were nearing completion of the hymnal, Cooper was struck down with depression so badly that he had to be institutionalized. And this happened a lot to Cooper. And Newton didn't understand it because he thought, surely God wanted them to finish this hymnal. How could God be against putting the praises of him in the mouths of believers and helping draw people nearer to God and helping sing praises to God to sing his attributes to a waiting and watching and listening world. And you see in the preface to the only hymnal, which finally was completed, that Newton writes about this. And he cries out to God and asks, why God is this happening? Is it an attack of the devil? What is it? And Newton actually writes that it was God that was thwarting the completion of the hymnal. And so when Newton cried out, why is this? Will you blast all my gourds and lay me low, he said. And in fear and trembling, he cried. And God's answer to him was this. It is in this way that I respond in grace and prayer to you, that you might find your all in me. Even though the hymnal was great in in its own sense, Newton was really in some ways doing it for himself. And what God wanted to show Newton was that Newton needed to find his all in God and in nothing else and in no one else. And so God was getting Newton's attention to pry his dead spiritual hands off of anything that he was trying to control in order that Newton might know his all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes in our life, it might be God trying to get our attention. Or finally, it might be the devil. Now, how can you tell? Well, because the devil is the father of lies, what the devil is trying to do is once you've been lost, in his mind lost... Once you've entered it from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, he's lost you forever. You're in the hand of Jesus, as he says in John's gospel, and no one can pluck you from it. But he is going to do everything in his power to make sure that you don't take anybody else with you. And the way that he does that is he makes you begin to believe lies about God How could God possibly love you knowing what you've done? You're a failure in life. You're a bad son. You're a bad daughter. You're a bad husband. You're a bad wife. You're a bad dad. You're a bad mother. You're a disgrace to the gospel. Your life is a complete and total lie. And so Satan begins to Worm his way in because, again, I say this a lot, the key to a good lie is to make it 70% true. Uh, There is some truth that I'm not the father or the husband that I ought to be. 
There's some truth that my life often disgraces the gospel and I'm not the witness that I ought to be. But when that infection begins to get its way into your heart and my heart, Satan begins to have a foothold and we begin to distort the reality of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, stand strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. He he goes on to talk about all of these individual pieces of armor. But it really isn't about the armor. It is what the armor represents. Truth, righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Just get rid of the armorial descriptions. We're not supposed to be dressed up as Roman soldiers. What is Paul saying? Put on Jesus Christ. It's not some sort of Christianized version of Dungeons and Dragons where if the enemy's coming after you, you say, I'm going to play the shield of faith. Or now I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit. But in fact, these are things that are given to you by being Christian. Simply by putting your trust in Him. And Paul is saying that the battle belongs to the Lord because you notice not only are these defensive weapons, but it not, it not at any point in the, entirety of this, in the entirety of this epistle does Paul say attack, go on the offensive, but to simply stand. Why? Well, one, we know the devil, the devil is always on the offensive. But two, the battle belongs to the Lord He is the warrior. He's the one that stands between us and the devil. If you want to go out in your own strength, you are going to look as ridiculous as David did wearing Saul's armor when he was supposed to go fight Goliath. In fact, the imagery that the Bible uses to talk about us as believers is that of sheep. I mean, imagine a sheep in armor. It's ridiculous. What defensive mechanism does a sheep have? It may be one of the few creatures on the face of the earth that has no defense other than run away. But we have a good shepherd, a sheep versus a wolf. The wolf can really come after us. The wolf can do real damage. But when there's a shepherd between the wolf and the sheep, the wolf is finished. So we put on Christ. We not only put our faith in Him for our salvation, but we put our faith in Him as we continue to be a part of this cosmic struggle, this battle going on. And this continues on even in our own lifetime. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Paul says, is the same power that resides within you. Do you know that? That the very power that brought Jesus from hell and back into heaven is the very power that lives within those of us who have believed on him. 
And that even now, you're not just sitting in the Advent, you're seated with Christ and blessed with every spiritual blessing, as he says in chapter 1. That you were once a sinner, but now you're a saint. You were once alienated from God, but now you're a priest. You were once a slave, and now you're a king, and the battle rages on. And the closer you try to get to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more the enemy is going to attack. And yet we know that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so knowing that the victory is in Jesus Christ, I understand why we would ask, well, then what difference does it make? It makes all the difference. Think about all the Alabama and Auburn non-conference matchups. And I won't bring up, dig up bones like Louisiana Monroe or anything like that. Uh, But think about those non-conference matchups. You already know who's going to win the game before the game even starts. By halftime, you know who's going to win the game. But those opponents, even though they know that the victory is not ultimately theirs, are still going to play as hard and as long as there is time in the game. And so Satan tries all the more because he sees that his defeat is imminent. And so the battle is real, and we stand in the person and work of Jesus Christ as the assaults of the enemy come, because they will come, we simply put on the Lord Jesus Christ, for we have no weapon ourselves. We are defenseless. And so this morning, this great struggle that we experience in our own spiritual lives that can even manifest it in the reality of our personal lives If you want to be able to thwart the devil, there's no cunning plan. There's no great strategy. It is simply this. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. For the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of the armies, Jesus Christ himself is the warrior who has done battle for you and is doing battle for you, and the victory is his. Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, not only are we lost without you, but we're defenseless without you. And Lord, as we like sheep are prone to go astray, the devil, our adversary, prowls about like a lion seeking whom he will devour. But Lord, we thank you that you're the good shepherd who comes after us, who protects us, who thwarts um, all the fiery arrows uh, of the enemy. And so, Lord, that we would look to you and put on Christ, who is our salvation and our all. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.